It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Back in the lab, Reggie and Luke back at it. Another episode of Superior Sports Talk presented by Locked On Sports Minnesota. But I'm going to the bullpen today, calling in my ace reliever, Sam Ekstrom. Sam's all warmed warming up. up. From, warming hey, up. Let me call in the uh, hey, let me call in the reliever here. Yep, bring him in. Bring him in. Uh-oh. The opposing team is scared. They're shaking in their boots. Sam's warmed up from recording the Ron Johnson show just moments ago. So I'm expecting you to come in throwing some heat. What's going on, Sam? And we just had a great recording with Audra Martin coming mm. off a late night covering the wild loss. We're going to get into that. So check out the Ron Johnson show after this. But I'm ready to I'm ready to rip into the wild here. I've got some thoughts on this game. I've got some some emotions built up. I'm coming off a disappointing Wolves playoff mm. series loss. So maybe I'm a little embittered. But uh, let's go. Let's talk about this hockey game. Yeah, plenty to discuss today, of course, starting with that Minnesota Wild tough night last night in game one of the playoffs. We are going to hand out some more NFC North draft grades, highlight some of our favorite moves from the division rivals. Plus, later, I'm putting Sam on the hot seat with what does it mean. It's all coming up on Superior Sports Talk. But first, make sure to check out our other daily show on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. It is The Ron Johnson Show, featuring former Gophers and NFL receiver Ron Johnson and producer, guess who? Sam Ekstrom. Get the daily opinions of an athlete-turned-broadcaster. Ron Johnson tells it like it is, whether it's Vikings, Gophers, Wolves, or Twins. Subscribe to the Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube channel or podcast feeds so you never miss an episode. All right, Sam. Well, they scratched and clawed these final few weeks. They earned themselves that number two seed in the playoffs after a great stretch of hockey. And how are they rewarded? By playing the St. Louis Blues right out the gate. Uh, The Wilds kryptonite after going winless in three games this year versus the Blues. The Wild, for whatever reason, struggle against this team to the point now where I'm wondering how much of this maybe is starting to get a little mental. I mean, how much plays into the psyche of this team? Remember the last time the Wild had home ice in the playoffs was 2018 when they were knocked out in round one by who else? The Blues. So different year, same results. The Wild fall 4-0 despite ending the night statistically with more shots, hits, face-offs, ones, takeaways. Sam, you know I'm a surface NHL fan trying to get into it a little bit more and more, but I lean on you for a little bit more in-depth analysis and expertise. So help me out. I mean, okay, I'm Michael Scott right now. Explain to me, like I'm five, how this team had more mm-hmm. shots, hits, face-off turnovers, and they lose the game 4-0. to zero. I mean, make it make sense for me because I'm still a hockey novice, as you know. But I'm sitting here thinking i got to be missing something, right? So let me tell you a little story back uh, to that playoff series <laughs> that you referenced about five years ago where mm. – uh, that wild team that went in that year, I think at the time they might've been the best wild team ever. I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of regular season wow. talent, momentum, mm-hmm. that might've been the best wild team that I'd seen to that point. They faced the blues. They have home ice. They lost in five games. You know how many of those games they won the shots on goal battle, Luke, all of them. Wow. All of them. 
Wow. So to say that last night was deja vu is an understatement. It was a, a classic callback to so many wild playoff losses of the past where they dictate the play. They're putting more pucks on net. They have the puck in the zone, probably like it's like 70, 30 possession time. And yet they can't beat the goaltender. A lot of people pointing to just sort of the the hot goalies that always seem to face the wild in the playoffs. I think that's certainly part of it. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury was a little bit off last night. Don't put it all on him. Uh, We'll get into that in a moment. But it does come down to special teams. The wild were excellent this regular season, but they did have a couple kryptonites. One of them was the blues. Uh, The other one was the power play. The Wild were not a good power play team, and it mystifies me that a team that is has this much talent, has this much finesse, and this much goal scoring can't figure it out with the man advantage. But, I mean, it was, it was the difference in the game last night, almost entirely. Wild 0 for 6 on the power play. Blues get 3. Uh, Perron with a hat trick, and that that's, that's your ball game. The Blues just moved the puck more fluidly on the power play. They had those reversals where they'd go from side to side and get the, the open net. They punched in rebounds. Every time the Wild had that opportunity, um, they were missing pucks. They weren't getting the stick down on the ice. The puck was you know, deflecting off of someone else. Uh, they weren't clean in the offensive zone on the power play. So if you look at last night, it, it almost entirely comes down to special teams. Wild absolutely need to defend better on the penalty kill. They absolutely need to be better on the power play. Um, but I just think there's sort of the ghosts, too, of playoff losts past where – they're so used to this narrative of showing up, outplaying the other team, and not getting rewarded. But this team is supposed to be different. This team has real goal scoring, high end talent that they're not. They're they're supposed to be immune to this kind of thing. Um, so the 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 result extremely disappointing last night, and uh, I think Minnesota Wild fans are probably already um, kind of expecting the worst. You mentioned Marc-Andre Fleury, and I'm sitting in traffic yesterday on my way home thinking about how little I actually know about hockey compared to a guy like you, Sam. But at the same time, I'm sitting there trying to guess, okay, who are they going to put in net in game one? I know they brought in Fleury to be the veteran leader in the playoffs. He's got the ring, brings that calm, cool demeanor to the locker room, etc. But the few times I saw him play, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, up and down maybe to say the least for such a big name, household name that I thought they were bringing in, uh, maybe inconsistent would be a fair word to use. While Talbot was clearly the better goaltender of the two, it seemed like for me down the stretch, you know, just good juices going into, you know, this such critical, again, round one against your kryptonite St. Louis Blues. Something's got to change. Again, I know nothing, but forget about the final outcome. When you heard they were sitting Talbot last night, were you as shocked as I was? Disappointed, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, On a couple different levels. So they trade for Flurry early March. And they stage this apparent competition where they alternate back and forth. And they say, basically, may the best man win. Talbot was the best man. Mm-hmm. And Flurry won the competition. Mm-hmm. So what was it all for? Right. Um, the, I've got the April stats in front of me here. So in April, Flurry had a 3.01 goals against average. Uh, Talbot had a 2.41 pretty decisively in mm. Talbot's favor there no over doubt. half, over yep. half a goal less per game. No question. Uh, yep. Say percentage was over a percent better for Talbot. Um, so I don't get why that wouldn't win him the job in the postseason. And, and I, I understand that flurry is a Stanley cup champion 
And he has a history of doing this in the postseason where he's really good. Mm-hmm. But I've never known this coach, Dean Evason, or this GM, Bill Guerin, to care about past accomplishment. Th- these are the guys that benched Zach Parisi last year in the mm-hmm. playoffs because they didn't love his attitude. They didn't love the way he was playing. They benched Kevin Fiala at one point. Like, they don't care what your name is or what you've done. Um, so it, it mystifies me that, that Fleury got the nod. And I would go back to Talbot in game two. Yeah, I, that was my next question. I mean, what's the norm here? I mean, how does this work when you got two solid options? Do teams usually switch off and rotate game to game? Do you go with the hot hand? Uh, what are you expecting tomorrow night? You're thinking no way Talbot isn't in the net and probably isn't the guy even moving forward until he proves otherwise. Would would that be the game plan you, you agree, not just for tomorrow night, but moving forward? Yeah, so I don't know what they're going to do. Um, you know, I, I understand on one hand, you can't have your goalies playing scared, where if they feel like they're going to make mistakes, they're going to be instantly replaced. So in that sense, I guess I get the logic if you want to stick with Flurry and stick to your guns and not have this goaltender by committee. Um, so, But if they do switch to Talbot, um, then they've kind of set the precedent that, all right, uh, we've got two good goalies and we are going to ride the hot hand. And that could mean that you're alternating them and, until you figure something out. But I think that these are two veterans. They've got to have thick skin. They've got to be able to accept a benching. Um, I think that you also have to ask the question, like how, how much at fault was Flurry last night for the four goals? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not his fault that the Wild were on the penalty kill and weren't defending much in front of him. I thought there were a couple that he'd like back that there were also a couple where you really can't do much about it. I mean, s- sure, you know, when, when a rebound kicks off to the far side and the net's wide open, hard to stop that. But also, control the rebound better too, right? Mm. So, like, there's a couple ways to look at that. Um, I, I think that just for a shakeup in mojo, in momentum, just to have a different goaltender in there after how bad the game was, I feel like that would give everybody a lift. And that's why I would switch to Talbot. Wild have played the Blues four times this season. They've lost all four. They just can't beat this team, man. I mean, how much of this or at what point do you start to think to yourself, Sam, okay, this inability to beat this team is is affecting them mentally, at least to some degree. Or are we already there? I mean, you mentioned the deja vu and the kryptonite. Are we already there after that four to nothing disappointment last night? Yeah, they showed the stat on the broadcast last 14 games. It was mm-hmm. 12-1-1 for the Blues. Wow. Um, an incredible drought for the Wild. And the it's not like the Wild are a bad hockey team. The Wild are, are beating up on everybody except this, this team that they just can't figure out. And I think a lot of people looked at those previous games and they said, okay, two of those losses were in St. Louis and they were in overtime. So that's basically a draw. And then the other one was at target field in zero degrees in the outdoor game. People kind of wrote that one off too. And they said, all right, you know, we've got them on our ice. Now it's going to be different. They hadn't played him yet at XL energy center until last night. And it was not, it was not different. In fact, it was worse. I, I do think the wild are a little bit of a speed and finesse team more than a physical team. I know they tried to add some physicality at the deadline with Delorier and Middleton, and they tried to get tougher at the deadline, but I still think that they're predicated on their speed. And sometimes in the playoffs, you need to to have grit win out, and you need to have that physicality win out. Um, And I know the Wild, where things were chippy and they weren't afraid to mix it up, but 
how great would it be to have a Zach Parisi who mm. always knew how to score that gritty goal? And I'm not saying they made the wrong move to to make that that release, but you you would love to have a player like that who could just park in front of the net and hammer pucks in. That was that was his that was his game. He was a playoff bred hockey player, just meant for these moments. And I don't know if they have quite that guy like Fiala and Kaprizov they're gonna score from the edges they're gonna stick handle and you know shoot from the slot they need guys that can score in front so that's what I'm looking for in game two man what a stat you pulled out 12 one and one in the last 14 games that's why it's so frustrating because the wild aren't a bad team they're good they're really good I mean you don't get the number two seed you know just by sheer luck so certainly frustrating again why they just can't get over the hump with the St. Louis Blues Wild try to rebound and leave Minnesota with a split tomorrow night puck drop 830 at the XL Energy Center coming up we're putting the NFC North front offices under the microscope after draft weekend and later I'm putting Sam on the hot seat with what does it mean but first do you want smart post-game reaction from insiders that cover your favorite teams check out our Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Get instant reactions from our Locked On team hosts along with prominent reporters like Kevin Gord for the Wild and Brandon Warren for the Twins. No fluff, just 10 minutes of straight analysts after each game. Subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota on YouTube and never miss a podcast. All right, Sam. So the 2022 NFL draft has officially come and gone. The dust is settled now a little bit. Now that we have a chance to take a few breaths, I want to take a closer look at the NFC North division as a whole. After, I mean, a wild and wacky draft weekend that included something you never see, which was division teams wheeling and dealing with one another. And I'm not talking about just, you know, a day three, six round conditional pick for a backup special teamer. I'm talking major moves by Quasey with the Lions and the Packers, as we saw. So now that we've had a chance to collect ourselves here, we heard from Quasey himself about things like, you know, the fact that just because we don't do that trade doesn't mean the Lions could move right up to 13 and grab Jamison Williams anyway. So why handcuff ourselves and limit our trading partners by three just because they're in our division? Some good points were made. Uh, but at the end of the day, Sam, it wasn't trading inside the division that I think fans had a problem with so much, in my opinion. It was they felt that Quasey got swindled. He just didn't get the value on that trade back, plain and simple. And I think after being able to re-examine it further now, and and maybe it doesn't seem quite as bad for people from a value standpoint when you consider this draft specifically was very deep in rounds two, three, and four, something that things like that Rich Hill trade chart that we've been using for years just doesn't take into consideration. So real quick, what was your overall first impression of those moves Quasey made? And did you think he did a good enough job justifying it to fans afterwards in the press conference? Or will that move always be something we look back on and scratch our heads? Um, I think that the ends, you don't necessarily have to justify the means. Like, mm -hmm. so look who the Vikings came away with, you know, at, at the end of day two, they've got an, an undersized linebacker. They've got a guard. Um, they've got a safety. They've got a corner that uh, th those are good players, but they're not really attractive players to no. the common fan. Right. Um, when you have teams trading up with you to get Jamison Williams and Christian Watson, I would argue that uh, wide receiver 
is maybe the second most important position in football right now with, with as good as these quarterbacks are and how wide receivers can change your team. Uh, those players undoubtedly make the Packers and Lions better, um, gives them upside. And certainly with the Packers, they had a serious weakness at wide receiver. And they go out and get a, a, a guy that's going to help Aaron Rodgers tremendously. Jamison Williams probably doesn't hurt you too much this year with the injury, but once the Lions get a quarterback in place, that could be someone that haunts you. All that said, you can't totally control who the team you trade with picks. That is part of the risk mm. of the trade, is that you are passing up on players, making them available to other teams so that you can get more players, basically. You can have quantity. Um the Vikings come away with players that I think will help them down the road, maybe this year a little bit, but not players that are moving the needle necessarily from a fan standpoint. Like, you know, Brian Asamoah, I think fans are like, well, we took Troy Dye and we took Chaz Surratt. Like, how is this any different? Um, they see a guard taken and they say, well, um, this guy has legal issues in the past and we already have five other guards to compete. So like, how is this, how is this different? I think that what the Vikings got to what the Lions and Packers got didn't really add up, and that's why the fans are upset. Did Quazy, you know, kind of explain it pretty well to say, hey, they can trade with other teams, you know, like we're not the only fish in the sea. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a valid point. And, hey, I think Arif made this point on Twitter, our friend Arif Hassan. If you feel like you're winning the trade based on your, your trade chart, and it seems like the Vikings were winning – based on the modern charts. Don't you want to swindle a division rival? You know, that's another way to look at it too. So mm -hmm. I can see both sides of it, but I totally understand why the fans are upset when you see your rivals taking great franchise changing players potentially. And then the Vikings, you know, get players that aren't immediately that appealing. Yeah. It's a good point there too. I mean, I think the trade philosophy and mentality has to stay the same, whether it's an in-division team or any other team. It's just the risk-reward becomes a double whammy, right? Either if you hit, yeah, you just swindled your division rival. That feels twice as good. If you miss, dang, now I got to go line up against this guy in my division the next five, ten years, twice a year. So uh, I think just the magnitude certainly amplifies a little bit there. But um, before we get into maybe some specific guys, you know who they got, Lions and Packers, both with two first-round picks, Lions with the number two and number 13 pick. Bears didn't pick until 39, of course. They gave away their first-round pick for Justin Fields last year. Just recapping and analyzing the jobs these NFC North teams did, who or what really sticks out for you? Yeah, I, I think the Lions probably came out best, and that mm -hmm. makes sense. They had two picks in the top 12. Uh, Vikings gave them one of those picks, but they walk away with, you know, the number two edge. They walk away with another outstanding defensive lineman in Josh Pascal. Um, so their their trenches, man, are getting good. I mean, their their offensive and defensive lines were probably the strength of their team already, and that defensive line got much better. Jamison Williams can be a dynamic offensive player down the road once he gets healthy, and Kirby Joseph too on day two, uh, a pretty good safety out of Illinois. Uh, I know they didn't, didn't have a fourth-round pick, but what they did through the first two days, probably the best in the division. Um, and then it, it's kind of hard not to put the Vikings number two. I know the Packers had a couple first-round picks, but you know people aren't thrilled with with what the Packers did getting um, Devontae Wyatt. You know, I think people question that. And um, they took a guard, right? 
it was a guard and it was Devonte Wyatt in the first round. So, and, and the guard that they got was in the third round. That's what I was thinking of. So, yeah. yep. um, but the Packers do come away with way with Watson. I think the Vikings hall of scene and booth mm-hmm. um, probably puts them a little bit above. And then the bears without a first round pick, I think you got to put them at the bottom. It's just hard to really have an impact draft without that first round pick, even though Kyler Gordon is a nice prospect. Um, I, I think the Vikings and lions probably came out best um long term you know like i said hard to know what these guys will do for the vikings in year one maybe some sub package looks with scene and booth but we don't know if they're going to be starters luke and that's okay that's okay if you amass talent that can be effective for your team down the road that's what's ultimately important yeah, you know, we just don't know, like you mentioned it. That's why it's so fun. We come back three, four years from now, we see how this whole thing shakes out and just how big of an impact and ripple effect this draft, Quasi's first draft class and moves as a GM, has on the team and the rest of the division. So it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, it's that time. My favorite segment is here. I'm putting Sam on the hot seat, covering all the latest hot topics in Minnesota sports called What Does It Mean? Sam, you ready to roll? Let's do it. I love this. Well, you don't know what the questions are yet, Sam. Just take it easy. Okay, (laughs) here we go. What does it mean with Sam? Twins win their 10th game in 11 outings and currently own the MLB's number one ERA ranking through the first four weeks. What does it mean when it comes to the more shocking stat, the Twins' early overall success and win streak or their dominant pitching staff? Yeah, it's easily the pitching that shocks me. This was supposed to be a weakness, and they've gotten unbelievable production out of you know, some arms that they certainly didn't expect, whether it's Bundy or Paddock or on Sunday, Josh Winder showing up kind of out of the woodwork and just dealing a gem on the road at Tampa for that win on Sunday, 9-3. to three. Um, Here's my concern is that remember how a couple weeks ago we said this Twins offense won't hit right now but Mm -hmm. they probably will get around to it because they're just really talented i feel like the pitching staff is due to regress at some point um maybe they get more into the summer months when you know it warms up the bats are going a little more for all these teams and uh and you know they start getting knocked around a little bit i fear that that could happen so it's all the more important for the offense to stay strong for the twins because the pitching just cannot keep this up over a 162-game season. They don't have enough high-end talent. They've got a lot of number three and number four arms in this rotation, and right now it's working. I mean, knock on wood, it's really going well for them, and uh, they might have something in this Joe Ryan. He might be an ace in the making, but I still am waiting for the other shoe to drop. Uh, The hope is that the Twins can take advantage of a soft schedule for the next four weeks or so, get 10, 12 games above 500, and then they've got a nice cushion if things get tougher. Five weeks ago, you tell any fan, "Ah, the Twins are going to go on, you know, a seven, eight game winning streak. You go, oh, wow, okay, pretty impressive. Didn't expect that. But you tell them that they have the number one ERA, this pitching staff dominating like the way they are right now. No way, no way anybody believes you at all. All right, next one. The Vikings declined center Garrett Bradbury's fifth-year option and will now become a free agent after the 2022 season. What does it mean for the long-term plans for the center at the position as we sit here today? And how many games does Bradbury actually start in 2022? Yeah, this is a head-scratcher that Ron and I were talking about on our show as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't really get the mixed message here because I, I fully expected them to decline the option. I think right. that, that the writing was on the wall there. 
But whether it was free agency or the draft, they did not address the center spot, whether yeah. it was a, a, a competition for Bradbury or just a, a backup. Uh, they've got plenty of guards that they brought in who maybe can, can shift over, but not a lot of center experience other than uh, an undrafted free agent who plays center who, you know, I, I don't know what, what his expectation can realistically be. So what does it mean for Bradbury long-term? I mean, I think that declining the option means that he needs to have like a Pro Bowl caliber season to save his career. Um, and even if he does, you know, that that could mean that he signs elsewhere after the season and, and maybe he has success later in his career with another team. Um, but how many games will he start for the Vikings this year? I think the over-under's got to be like 14 and a half. I mean, mm -hmm. he's the guy as of now. There's no one else I would trust to play that role, even though Bradbury's had his struggles. He still does have sort of the IQ, I think, to, to be an effective guy pre-snap to help Kirk out, still good in the run game. Um, it's just we're constantly asking him to be better in pass protection, and it's just not happening. He's not big enough. He can't hold up. But he's the only guy right now. So, I mean, I'll give him a couple of games for injury or what have you, but I think 14 and a half is my number. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, you got both sides of the coin. Yeah, long-term future not looking great, but he's going to have every opportunity, I think, this year, at least starting out those first 8, 10 games for sure uh, to, to you know, maybe prove them wrong and say, hey, maybe I am worth another one- or two-year extension after this season. Okay, last one. What does it mean with Sam? Check this one out. Adrian Peterson is back in the news, Sam has agreed yeah. to domestic violence and alcohol counseling after his arrest on suspicion of domestic violence six months ago. Peterson, who is now 36, said he plans on playing again next year after stints with the Titans and Seahawks to end 2021. What does it mean for Peterson's actual chances of signing with the team and playing in what would be his 17th career in the league? I don't know. I don't know how much you know, meat there, there is left on that bone. We, um, we've said that for 10 years though, right? That's the problem, right? I mean, we've said that there's no way. Right. And then he just keeps coming back. This guy's just the ultimate warrior. All right. We're going to do a little on-air research. So let's look at his yards per carry in recent years. So 2018, 4.2 with mm -hmm. Washington, 4.3 the next year with uh, Washington again, then with Detroit, 3.9. Last year with two teams, 2.6. Not bad. Sensing a, sense a downward trend. <laughs> hey, you need a yard. He'll get you 2.6. <laughs> but, uh, you know, a Adrian just doesn't really know how to how to quit football. I mean, this is not – if you talk about going out on top, this is not, this is not what that is. This is Just him trying – he is trying to get – every yard he can i think he cares about his legacy he cares about where he finishes in the all-time yards mark i think it's a pipe dream to think that he's going to pass you know emmett at this point but i believe he's in the top five i think yeah, um and he I ranks think fifth right now with yeah. uh what fourteen thousand nine hundred eighteen career rushing yards and again said he plans on continuing playing next season we'll see about that yeah yeah, I, I don't know who's gonna gonna make that signing. There are just so many other younger backs that are probably better at catching the ball and pass protection. I'm surprised he got a sniff last year, also. Mm -hmm. um, but I've said that every year since about 2015. So, uh, hey, Adrian is ageless. I hope he gets his you know his family situation figured out first and foremost. Of course, yep. But that but that is that that is one more element too. That if teams are needing a running back. 
that's one more kind of knock against Adrian to say, all right, he's been struggling lately and he's got this legal thing and he's 36, 36 37 years old. Um, so I think the ship has sailed. I don't think he's playing again. Okay, Sam, you survived the gauntlet. Back here tomorrow previewing more of the Wilds game to showdown versus the Blues and your daily Twins recap as they go for their 11th win in 12 games in Baltimore. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us every day for another episode covering all the biggest topics in Minnesota sports. He's Sam Ekstrom. Follow him on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter at Luke underscore Spinman. Tune in tomorrow to Superior Sports Talk, part of Locked on Sports Minnesota. For Sam, I'm Luke. Until tomorrow, signing out. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.